we spoke about the refinancing scenarios and the cruise line industry to assist that sector through the lowest points of the pandemic. But there's also the opposing reality in that some maritime sectors are actually booming. Hello and welcome all to the seventh episode of the Law Boot Podcasts. My name is Matthew Kassar and I'm an associate at Fennec and Fennec Advocates within the Ship Finance Department. I will be your host for today's podcast as today's podcast is the first of several podcasts discussing aspects of the vast and dynamic world of ship finance. Our discussion today will focus on the new market realities being faced by the shipping community as a whole at the moment. And we're going to delve into the corresponding impact that this has had and is continuing to have on the financing and also the refinancing of Malta flagged vessels. More specifically, during this podcast, we will be discussing the disruptions caused to supply chains as a result of, firstly, the COVID-19 pandemic and the restrictions brought about by this pandemic, and as a result of the more recent Russian aggression in Ukraine. These disruptions have really impacted the shipping industry from head to toe, from shipbuilding through to general operations and logistics. We will delve into how the ship finance industry has transformed itself and evolved in the wake of such disruptions. And we will discuss also what the future holds for the ship finance industry. With me today to discuss the consequences of these events on ship finance is Dr. Peter Grima who is a senior associate at Fennec and Fennec Advocates working within the same ship finance department. Welcome to the podcast, Peter. Hi, Matthew. Good morning. Good morning. So to jump right into it, Peter, the last two years have, I mean, to put it mildly, been a bit of a roller coaster ride for the shipping industry. We have seen periods where the shipping industry experienced near complete collapse, particularly in those early days of COVID, where lockdown measures brought operations to a complete standstill. Following which, and I would add luckily enough, we've seen periods of record highs. And this is evidenced by the recent spike in freight rates for bulk carriers and also container vessels. Our first point of call, I believe, with uh, you know trying to unbox this roller coaster ride, is to start by discussing the effects that COVID-19 and especially COVID-19 prevention measures have had on ship finance transactions, especially with a view to of uh, Malta-flagged vessels. Well, Matt, you you mentioned the roller coaster ride, and I think that is quite a, an apt way to to put it. Uh, If we look at the initial effects of COVID in the first and second quarter of 2020, certain shipping operations came to a complete standstill. There were port closures, there was congestion at ports, and there were also personnel shortages. For example, we frequently saw instances where personnel fell ill on board a vessel and needed to uh, be hospitalized or quarantined from other, other crew, 
and replacements could not actually be physically flown into the country where the vessel was located because of COVID restrictions. At the same time, this created a, a logistical nightmare, and as you would expect, it, it caused uh, extremely costly delays. But this experience was, of course, just one of the many that affected the industry as a whole. Uh, other sectors, such as the cruise line industry, had an even tougher time with their uh, operations literally grinded to a complete halt. And uh, for the cruise line industry, the, the first signs of this looming crisis were, were, can be seen in the Diamond Princess example. The Diamond Princess was a, a vessel that reported its first case of COVID in February 2020. And at the time, all its passengers and crew underwent quarantine off the coast of Japan. In total, I, I believe there were about 700 passengers and crew who became infected, and nine people actually passed away. Um, this experience was just the first of many, of course, for the cruise line industry, as by April 2020, no less than 54 ships, uh, which represented about one-fifth of the global cruise fleet, had passengers who were infected with uh, COVID-19. The Diamond Princess was, however, the first, and as a result of, it was the most televised and uh, the most infamous example of uh, all, all the cruise vessels that had COVID uh, affecting them. And the manner in which quarantine measures were imposed at the time certainly uh, didn't help ease passenger apprehension to return to, to cruise holidays. However, what was of interest from a, a ship finance perspective was that refinancings actually increased during this period. Um, ship owners looked to source fresh liquidity to help them through the, through the pandemic, essentially. At this time, we were heavily involved in advising clients uh, with, uh, with refinancing transactions and equally had financings postponed in, in, in certain instances. Either the postponement was due to delivery of, of, uh, of, of new bills um, that were taking place at that time, and they decided to postpone them to a later date. Or in some instances, buyers simply got cold feet and they, uh, they decided to uh, postpone the purchase of, of secondhand vessels and, and, and just wait it out. But what was of particular interest to us at the time was the amount of debt holidays that were being negotiated between borrowers and lenders under their, their loan facilities. Now, debt holidays were essentially a type of moratorium on, uh, on loan repayments that were, uh, were being requested not just by ship owners, but across all industries. And this effectively allowed a debtor to obtain an exemption on its loan repayments over a period of time, and which was typically one year, and then uh, they were frequently renegotiated thereafter. Um, the cruise line industry is one prime example. It, it was the, the worst hit maritime sector. And so it was amongst the first to look towards negotiating these debt holidays. And, and as you would imagine, Matt, it's, it's understandable why. We're, we're here talking about financings involving ship owners who were actually taking delivery of new state-of-the-art ships in the first and second quarter of 2020. These ship owners had large loans to pay and were being forced to lay up their vessels uh, for an indeterminate period of time. And, and this at the point of delivery. Um, so naturally, this placed major cruise line companies in deep, in deep uh, hemorrhage. We're talking about 
up to one billion uh, dollars a month just to maintain their their fleets here. Yeah? So this all naturally led to the a necessity to refinance, and in many instances, the uh, consequently we had to also take out fresh security. That's very interesting, Peter. Indeed, and I also understand that these payment holidays were not always freely available. Indeed, many facility agreements would include as an event of a default instances where the borrower would, by reason of actual or anticipated financial difficulty, commence negotiations with a creditor or several creditors in certain instances with a view to rescheduling its indebtedness. I understand, Peter, that there are borrowers who did not have such restrictions in the facility agreement. In those instances, what sort of security were they required to put up? And further still, why was additional security required in the first place for what would effectively uh, amount to a moratorium on loan repayment? Okay, so that holidays firstly vary in the manner in which they are provided. But what we witnessed was the lenders essentially agreeing to amortize loan repayments for a period of typically one year with the corresponding obligation of the borrower to pay a premium over and above the outstanding loan. So this scenario would then necessitate the registration of amendment mortgages or second priority mortgages and uh, this in order to secure the new obligations that were being created. Here it might be useful to mention that under Morty's law there are two instances in which it, it becomes mandatory and not optional for a mortgage or to register an amendment mortgage. The first is when there is an increase in the amount of capital being secured by such mortgage. And here I should also possibly point out, uh, as we get many queries on this, that an agreement to amend and vary the rates of interest payable or the modalities for the calculation of interest, as well as an agreement to vary the repayment schedule or um, the, the currency in which payment is to be made, would not be deemed to be an increase in the amount of capital being secured. And now, the, the second instance is where, whenever a registered mortgage is extended to secure uh, any other obligation of the mortgage or in favor of the mortgagee. So many of the, the debt holidays we were involved in over the last two years actually contained both an increase in the amount being secured as a result of the premiums that were being applied, as well as an additional obligation being created. And this consequently necessitated the registration of amendment mortgages or, or second ranking mortgages. So, Peter, in addition to these debt holidays, it is evident that we've also witnessed an increase in sale and leaseback transactions over recent years. From experience, ship owners have been, and they've been doing this for many years, seeking alternatives to traditional financing. Traditional financing is many a time only available to a minority of blue chip ship owning companies. And this fact has traditionally led to a significant number of ship owners to pursue alternative methods of financing. From a multi flag perspective, it would appear that the sale and leaseback has gained in popularity. The popularity is as a result of vessel prices increasing and also in light of market realities as well as regulatory demands particularly in the area of environmental protection, which is a matter which we'll be discussing later on in this podcast. 
it would be it would appear that ship owners are increasingly considering these type of sale and leaseback transactions. However, Peter, would you also say that this is an accurate reflection of the consequences of both COVID-19 and the recent Russian aggression in Ukraine? Well, we we have certainly been witnessing a rise in lease financings, particularly those provided by Chinese leasing houses, and, and, and this for both new vessel builds and, uh, and even second-hand vessels. Uh, one such recent example was the refinancing involving Danish company Hafnia Tankers, which involved a 400 million plus sale and leaseback financing deal, and this was with ICBC Financial Leasing. Of, of course, this increasing trend is, is not a recent phenomenon, if we can even call it that. The, the sale and leaseback is a, a mode of financing that we have been noticing a steady rise in, I would say, for at least 15 years and uh, particularly over the last five. That discontinued growth comes at a time when shipping costs um, are rising, could therefore be coincidental. However, what is certainly unequivocal is the fact that sale and leaseback financings enable the ship owner to free up its capital whilst uh, maintaining the ability to operate a vessel and trade as owner under long-term leases. And therefore, um, we could say that in the current context, it is undoubtedly even more attractive to a uh, ship owner. In terms of the sale and leaseback transactions that we are generally involved in, these would typically uh, be structured in, in various ways, and the security package would therefore need to be adapted to the particular sale and leaseback structure. But generally speaking, the security would include an assignment of uh, vessels insurances and earnings, as well as uh, pledges over shares or, or, or over relevant bank accounts to which the, the vessel's earnings are paid. Now, I should also point out that whenever the maritime industry is going through a difficult period, we inevitably hear talk of what if financing dries up, how long can financiers continue to support the industry? And recent years and months have given us have given rise to to this renewed discourse with with respect to leasing houses. However, from what we can see from the from the financing side, uh, is that leasing houses are alert to the uncertainties and fluctuating market realities in shipping, and are actually being careful not to let caution lead to any suggestion that they are in retreat. Indeed, if our experience is anything to go by, we are presently in the process of assisting with the sale and leaseback financings of several types of vessels. And, and here I'm talking about dry bulkers, tankers, container ships, even LNG tankers, um, LNG carriers rather. Um, and some deliveries are taking place over the course of the next two to three years. So if this is anything to go by, then the short to medium term is, is looking promising. Indeed, it does. And really, with the benefit of hindsight, we now know that the initial stultifying effects on the international trade brought about the COVID-19 pandemic was subsequently reversed in 2021. Uh, well, possibly this might not be said with respect to the cruise liner industry. However, we have certainly seen the resurgence of economic growth during this period. And really, this was uh, spurred on by the surging demands for goods. Unfortunately, however, it coincided with 
limited supply and container shortages. It was evident, therefore, that freight and bulker shipping rates soared significantly. And this can really be explained with basic economics. As within the height of the pandemic, people bought less and consequently there was less demand. Following which, government subsequently lifted the pandemic restrictions and uh, evidently consumption increased and businesses were suddenly playing a catch-up situation. It's interesting, I think, for our listeners, if we give an example of the significance of these fluctuations. According to data collected on popular shipping routes, in particular Shanghai to Rotterdam and Shanghai to the United States West Coast, we saw a rise in freight rates from about $2,000 to $2,500 per 20-foot equivalent unit up to a short-term market highs of above $23,000. Similarly, Maltese shippers have also noted a TEU container increase, previously something that would have cost €2,000 to €3,000 prior to the pandemic, now costs up to as much as 17,000 euros. Bulk shipping rates have likewise similarly reflected the increase in prices. Peter, has all of this impacted ship finance? Yes, it has. So financings and refinancings have certainly increased in frequency. Earlier, we spoke about the refinancing scenarios and the cruise line industry to assist that sector through the lowest points of the pandemic. But there is also the opposing reality in that some maritime sectors are actually booming. You you, uh, mentioned some very interesting statistics just now, which illustrate just that. And uh, in fact, there are many that would say that the container and uh, bulk trading markets are currently experiencing a super cycle. But what does all this mean in practice? Uh, What it means is that stakeholders have here found themselves with an influx of liquidity and capable of doing one of two things. Firstly, they can pay off their loans and discharge existing security over their vessels. And secondly, um, they can request fresh financings for new builds um, to meet this increased capacity requirement. Now, this, this new market reality is, as you mentioned, a result of increasing demand for goods and the the reduction, the corresponding reduction in supply that has characterized global markets since at least the, fir- the second and third quarter of 2021. Um, and this scenario, coupled with the increased liquidity in container and bulk carrier markets, has essentially led to an increased willingness of, of financiers to put up capital and a simultaneous desire of ship owners to take on additional loans and purchase new or even second-hand vessels as they look to redress, so to speak, um, these supply shortfalls. In fact, the expectation is that demands for international shipping activity will increase and continue to grow within the short term and uh, within both the short term and also the medium term expectation. And with it, uh, I say, would say, fortunately enough, continued impetus to ship finance and refinancing transactions. Uh, Let's 
point of view now on the recent Russian aggression in Ukraine, I believe that this has naturally solidified this positive trajectory as the latest waves of sanctions imposed against the Russian Federation, Russian entities and individuals lead to further strain to international trade. Peter, from your experience, what have been the effects of these sanctions on financier and what has been the experience to date? Well, um, it is still relatively early days, but a ripple effect to the sanctioning on individuals and entities, as well as their restricted access to the global economic and financial system, is the looming possibility of borrowers and obligors defaulting on ship finance loan facilities. In truth, the ship finance industry is, is, is no stranger to to defaults as a direct result of these of sanctions. We we merely need to look at 2017 and 2018 for an example where international investment banks experienced several loan defaults, um, principally on aircraft and, and yacht loans at the time, with reports um, suggesting that the, the loan defaults were directly linked to sanctions imposed by the European Union and the United States um, upon numerous Russian individuals and entities. So sanctions may certainly result in obligors being unable to meet their financial obligations across loan facilities and, and, uh, or even causing acceleration clauses to be triggered. What is possibly also of interest to note is that in the case of new financing projects, sanctions could also significantly limit the, the confidence and ability of financiers to lend to Russian entities and individuals, particularly at, at this time where the remit and extent of sanctions is still rather fluid. Yes, and well, whilst I suppose the future is quite unknown, what is certain is that these latest sanctions in response to Russian's transgressions are far more stringent and far more reaching than those imposed in recent years. The expectation is that they will produce intensified financial burdens on sanctioned persons and entities, and as a result, the shipping industry will definitely be on its toes to see and map out what these sanctions might mean for both ship owners and financiers. On a separate note, Peter, in terms of new opportunities in the shipping financial sector, there is a lot of talk of green shipping and green loans in recent years. In your view, what does this mean and what can we expect to see in the coming years? Well, look, the... The shipping industry has traditionally been an industry that relied on heavy fuel oil, which is one of the dirtier fuels in terms of its carbon footprint and, and its impact on the environment. Um, it also traditionally contained the high sulfur content, which worsened its environmental impact. But this being said, the tide is, is uh, definitely turning. And as with most industries, we are witnessing an increased focus on sustainability measures and this at both ship owner level, um, as well as within banks and financial institutions themselves. In fact, banks and financial institutions are increasingly required to um, justify their investment choices based on sustainability and environmental risk criteria. And public opinion is also demanding more urgent action on environmental sustainability, which then further influences banks and uh, financial institutions. 
This being said, there there have been uh, there have also been regulatory changes that have forced the adoption of more environmentally friendly practices. For instance, from January 1st, 2020, all ships were required by the International Maritime Organization to comply with the 0.5% cap on sulfur content in shipping fuel. Unless, of course, traveling within a designated emissions control area, in which case the limit was capped at 0.1%. And the principal aim of these measures is to reduce the shipping industry's reliance on high sulfur content uh, fuel oil. Therefore, since 2020, ship owners have been obliged to either start using low sulfur content fuel, which is a more costly fuel, or to in, in, install an, um, an exhaust gas cleaning system, which is something that we refer to as uh, more commonly as scrubbers. And this allows the vessel to continue using uh, high sulfur content uh, heavy fuel oil in compliance with the IMO cap. So, therefore, we could say this proved to be one of the first areas of green financings because um, banks looked to extend green loans to ship owners um, who were looking to install scrubbers, while at the same time also improving the bank's carbon uh, rating. So, to answer your question more directly, Matt, I uh, would expect that going forward, we will see an increased wave of green financings where ship owners embrace alternative fuel sources to reduce their reliance on heavy fuel oil. At present, possibly the most utilized alternative uh, fuel to heavy fuel oil is LNG. However, this is not an ideal alternative fuel source. Um, due to its, 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 its high content of methane. And, and therefore, the more recent impetus that we are seeing is to move towards other fuel sources such as methanol and hydrogen. In fact, uh, it might be of interest to, to point out that we already see a number of vessels that are under construction and some that are, have already come into operation that utilize either of these two alternative fuels. Um, and in addition to this, we also see um, certain ship owners looking to utilize battery power alongside traditional fuels, which would essentially uh, be a type of, of hybrid power. Um, and this seems to be well suited for, for vessels such as tugs and other vessels which, which need to produce significant amount of power output for short periods of time. So overall, I, I believe we may expect to see an era of more sustainable shipping which will in turn open new windows of opportunity to ship finance. And at the end of the day, if the mixture of regulatory impetus, technological advancements and, um, and financial availability leads to a more sustainable shipping industry, I, I guess we will all benefit. Thank you, Peter, for that. And thank you for your insight with respect to this really ever-changing landscape within which we operate. This has been very informative indeed. On that note, I believe we can conclude our discussion on this episode of Law Boot. We thank our listeners for tuning in and we invite them to look out for our next podcast. <laughs>